Welcome to Amici, News and Insights from the New York Courts. I'm John Carr. For this Diversity Dialogue segment, we're pleased to welcome to the program John Sullivan, an attorney in the Court Systems Counsel's Office. John is a statewide ADA, that's Americans with Disabilities Act, coordinator. The ADA, a civil rights law prohibiting discrimination based on disability, was enacted July 26, 1990, 32 years ago. And while March is officially Disability Awareness Month, I think it's fair to say that the New York State court system is aware every minute of every day. And that 24-7 commitment is coordinated by Mr. Sullivan. John, thank you for coming on the program. So in a nutshell, what is the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act? Well, the ADA is a federal statute that was enacted in 1990 um, and then amended significantly again in 2008. And it's modeled on the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And the purpose behind the ADA was to allow people with disabilities to fully participate in all aspects of society, to eliminate discrimination against disabled people, and to provide a legal remedy when discrimination does occur. And so the, the ADA is divided into several subchapters. Title I deals with employment discrimination. Title III deals with discrimination in places of public accommodation, which are businesses open to the public. And Title II applies to the public services that state and local governments provide. Okay, so what Title II does is to protect a qualified individual with disability from being excluded from the benefits uh, or being denied the benefits of the services, programs, and activities of uh, state or local governments. So what does that mean? Basically, um, that uh, people with disabilities must be given a full and fair opportunity to participate in um, and get the benefit of any court activity, uh, be it a trial, a hearing, a motion, or any other service that uh, a court provides to the public. So in this opportunity to participate, regardless of whether or not you have a disability, um, has to be given to anyone and everyone who comes before the court, be they a, a party, an attorney, a witness, uh, a juror, or even a spectator. And so what does the ADA coordinator for the courts do? You, 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 you focus on one of those subsections, is that, is that correct? That's right, we, we focus on Title II. Um, uh, so the, the unified court system does not want to discriminate against anyone um, on the basis of disability and to make sure that every person has uh, equal and full access to the court system, we strive to provide services in a way that ensure accessibility. Um, and my office helps in that mission. Um, basically, the ADA coordinator's office um, helps the court ensure access to court users. Um, so one important thing that we do is advise and consult with judges and court managers on how to provide court users with what are called uh, reasonable accommodations. So I mentioned that the ADA is a civil rights statute, um, uh, but it's kind of a unique one in that it has um, built into it an affirmative action component. Um, so the ADA requires us to take reasonable steps to affirmatively ensure that people with disabilities are not excluded from court proceedings, um, which means basically that we're legally obligated um, to accommodate someone if their disability would otherwise interfere with their opportunity to participate in court proceedings. Mm -hmm. and, and basically we accommodate people in, in two ways. Uh, one, we make uh, reasonable modifications to our 
processes and procedures, uh, meaning you know the way we do things. And two, we provide core users uh, with what are called uh, auxiliary aids for uh, services, equipment, or devices that permit communication. Um, and our office helps uh, the courts make sure that those auxiliary aids and services are available when needed and that uh, court personnel are trained in knowing when they're needed and how they might best be used. Now, uh, so, so, so if, I, if I understand correctly, then the, the ADA applies equally to people who work within the court system and people who utilize the court system, the public, our constituents, our clients, our customers. And your focus or the focus of your office is, is on the, the, the people on the outside coming into the court system. That's right. The people and, we call court users. Um, and what what uh, so, what sort of um, what what sort of disabilities are, are covered? How is disability defined? I guess. Well, we're guided by the, the definitions that the ADA gives, and the statute has a, it has a three part definition for a disability. A disability means um, a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities of a person, or having a record of such an impairment or being regarded as having such an impairment. Um, so basically for someone to be considered disabled under the statute, they have to have an impairment that substantially impacts uh, a major life activity. Now, initially the statute didn't say what my major life activities were, um, but the implementing regulations um, uh, specified them as activities such as walking or seeing or hearing, uh, learning, breathing, working, speaking, lifting, communicating, and various other things that they listed in the regulations. And then in 2008, I mentioned the ADA was, was amended, uh, and that list, list of activities was put um, directly into the statute itself, um, and some other life activities, major life activities were added, including one that was important um, that was uh, referred to the operation of a major bodily function. Uh, that meaning the the operation of a of a various bodily systems or organs, um, and so that expansion of in 2008 of what is meant by the phrase major life activity made it really clear that the ADA also applies to people who don't look disabled. Um, the ADA also covers people who have so-called invisible disabilities. Mm -hmm. Now, the term invisible disabilities sometimes called hidden or non-apparent disabilities. It's an umbrella term, and it refers to a whole spectrum of physical, mental, or neurological conditions or diseases that impair human functioning but are invisible or not immediately apparent to the onlooker. So this would include such things uh, as chronic illnesses or cognitive disabilities or developmental disabilities, uh, psychiatric disabilities, or even chronic conditions that um, cause pain or fatigue or dizziness. So now the ADA has a very broad definition of disability that includes many types of impairments, both the apparent and the non-apparent. And, um, and as you explained, um, a lot of those are not visible to the naked eye. Uh, it's not, if someone comes into our court system with, with a not obvious impairment, how do we know about it? Well, uh, you know, that, we, we have to, if, we, if it's not apparent, we have to wait for them to let us know that they need an accommodation. Right, but how do they do that? ADA accommodation requests can be made uh, in writing, either by letter or email. 
Um, they can be made in, in person uh, by phone. Uh, we have a public uh, UCS webpage, um, and, and they can use that to do it. Or uh, in certain pilot locations now, they can use an online request form that we've created. Ask people who, who are coming into, who know they'll be coming into court, um, to make their request in advance because that gives us more time to to be prepared and to uh, and to uh, make the necessary arrangements. Um, so are the arrangements made the person, on, made at the individual courts or through your office or you know if I'm in uh, Shimon County, do I call you or do I call someone in Binghamton? Well, you it depends on on the location. Uh, in, in general, uh, the court system's pro uh, process for requesting accommodation. Um, asks court users to contact um, top-level court managers. So in New York City courts, it's the chief clerks, um, and outside in the courts outside uh, New York City, it's the district executives. Mm -hmm. um, they're the persons that we have made responsible for responding to disability accommodation requests from most court users. Uh, there's an exception for um, requests being made by people who have been summoned to jury service. Those requests go to the commissioner of jurors for the county. Okay. So once a district executive or a chief clerk or whoever is responsible in whatever county it is uh, gets a request, what do they do? What's what's their responsibility? What do they do next? So what they do is basically act as gatekeepers. Um, they they'll either handle requests themselves or through designated staff, or certain requests they'll refer to the judge presiding over. Uh, a person's case, and I, I should say here that that reasonably accommodating someone um, by making a modification to our regular practices or procedures um, becomes a little more complicated in the context of the court system, uh, and that's because court managers and uh, administrators cannot exercise judicial powers. So, if a person wants an accommod as an accommodation, something that only a judge has the power to grant, the person has to ask judge to do that, and the chief clerk of the district executive can't do that. Let me come and so, you off for a second. What, what sort of accommodation can a judge order that a district executive can't order? Okay, I'll give you some examples of that. Um, an appearance by phone or video, um, more time to file papers, um, a request that the case be adjourned, um, a request that the, the judge change the time of day that the proceeding is held. Let's say someone is on a medication um, uh, you know, to treat a condition that they have, and it makes them drowsy in the mornings. Um, so normally the court would call the case at 9.30 in the morning, but judge, I'd like to have it heard in the afternoon instead. That's something only a, a judge can I understand. Grant yeah, anything like that. Any courtroom conditions like taking breaks frequently uh, or having the participants speak more slowly so that someone with a, a processing impairment can digest what's being uh, held or, or uh, what's being said or... Um, or even allowing a non-attorney uh, to participate in the proceeding. Mm -hmm. um, all of these things implicate a judge's inherent authority over their courtroom, um, or, or the provision of an accommodation that might affect the rights of other parties to the proceeding. So if a request of that nature comes to the chief clerks of the dis district executive's attention, it will be referred to the judge for decision. I understand. Uh, thank you. So if someone needs to make or wants to make an accommodation request in advance, uh, is it simply, a, how, how do they go about it? They simply call the district executive? What do they do? Well, the, uh, the, 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 our public ADA webpage is a great place to start. Um, from that page, 
you can obtain ADA information for whatever particular courthouse you're going to. Um, and the individual page for each courthouse has information about elevators, restrooms, and parking, if there is any, and a photograph of that building's uh, accessible entrance. And it also provides an address uh, for a dedicated ADA email box um, that is monitored by either the chief clerk or the district executive, uh, or one maintained by the commissioner of jurors for some jurors to use. Um, and phone numbers are also listed uh, as another option for making a request. And in some locations right now, uh, including uh, New York City, Monroe, uh, Nassau, and Suffolk counties, there's also a link to our new online ADA accommodation request form. Um, and that form can be used by someone with a desktop, a laptop, or even on their phone. So there are multiple options for seeking an accommodation. Now, now when, we, when you say we're required to accommodate, that, that's kind of a broad term as well. Um, let's explore a little bit of what that means. I mean, does, does that mean if someone needs a cane, we have to get one for them? If they need a wheelchair, we've got to find one for them? If you need a hearing aid, no. we've got to provide that? What, what, what does it mean exactly? Sure, sure. Um, well, let, let's, let's start to the first question first. Now, under the ADA, we're not obligated to provide uh, people with personal devices such as canes or wheelchairs. Um, that's personal medical equipment um, uh, or personally prescribed um, items such as uh, glasses or hearing aids. We don't have to uh, provide services of a purely um, personal nature, such as a, you know, a personal attendant that would help you uh, going to the bathroom or something. Mm -hmm. That's something that people have to bring themselves. Um, but so uh, the other kinds of comment, I could go through the auxiliary aids and services um, that we that we, we, we do provide to people with disabilities. Yeah, just, just, um, just kind of a, a, a quick list of examples. What, 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 sort, what sort of things do we provide? We provide things like American Sign Language interpreters or um, uh, any other kind of interpretive services um, that relates to a disability um, because there are other kinds of, of um, interpreters for the deaf or hard of hearing that go beyond American Sign Language. Um, uh, we also provide what are called assistive listening devices, which are basically devices that bring sound directly to a person's ear. And it's, it's not good for a deaf person, but it's good for someone who's hard of hearing and has some hearing loss. Um, we can also provide uh, what's called CART um, or real-time reporting, uh, which enables people to get a simultaneous um, transcript of what's occurring projected on a screen uh, in real time. So those, is, those are the sort of auxiliary aids and devices. We also have a variety of things we can do to accommodate uh, people with, um, who are blind or have low vision. Um, you know, we can enlarge court documents. Uh, we can provide uh, things in, in large print or, or in braille, things like that. What are the biggest challenges in, in, in uh, meeting, the, meeting all those needs? And we, we have, I don't know how many people come in our courts every day. Um, but th there must be a myriad of needs in a myriad of places uh, every single day. How, how do we, what, what are the biggest challenges? Well, I, I would say from my perspective, it's twofold. Um, one is public awareness, uh, making sure that court users who have a disability are aware that they can get a, a particular accommodation when they come to court. Um, and that we're, we will provide reasonable accommodations. Um, so publicizing that fact and the process by which people can obtain an accommodation is a continuing challenge, especially reaching people who aren't on the internet, uh, where a lot of our, uh, uh, we have a lot of information that tells people how to obtain an accommodation, uh, or people who aren't represented by an attorney, 
uh, or reaching people who, for whom English is not their primary language. That's, that's always a challenge. And the second visit, this biggest challenge um, is raising awareness on the part of our own people, our court employees and judges, um, training people on what the ADA requires, um, on the resources that we have available for meeting our responsibilities, uh, and how to engage with people with disabilities in general. That's an ongoing um, uh, and never-ending process, and uh, it, so training can never be a one-done kind of thing uh, because employees come and go all the time. So we have to continually reach out and educate our own people about uh, what, what we can and should be doing for people with disabilities mm -hmm. who come to court. So to a large extent, it's really an access to justice issue. Yes, that's right. And, and, and our attempt to ensure that someone who, who needs to come to the courts for whatever reason, whatever relief they seek, uh, are, are able to do that. People are not denied justice because they can't get in the door. That's right. We have to make, we have an, we have an obligation to make our programs, services, and activities, as, as the statute refers to them, um, um, accessible. And that, and that's, that's a, that's a, a um, an obligation on our part that, that, uh, exists, even if there's problems with physical accessibility into or out of the courthouse. Um, as you know, a lot of our courthouses are old, um, and they, they often, present challenges for particularly for people with mobility impairments, um, both getting into the courthouse and getting around once they're in there. Um, now, in, in New York State, uh, uh, localities are responsible. We don't own our own courthouses. They're provided to us by localities. Um, and so they're responsible for making them physically accessible. And we, we basically ask the localities, listen, make sure at least one building entrance is accessible so someone can get in. And then once they're in the in the building, make sure at least one courtroom on the civil side and at least uh, one courtroom on the criminal side is fully physical, physically accessible, meaning that somebody can get in, you know, with a with a difficulty using doors, can get through the door. Um, if if they if they there has to be enough space for the wheelchair, the tables have to be at the right height, etc. And this allows us then to relocate a proceeding if necessary into that accessible courtroom. Um, sure. And and of course the newer buildings that are built, it's not so much a problem because they're built um, under federal law. They're built to be ADA compliant. So uh, with a newer building, that's not really a problem. But even if a building's physically accessible, we can't throw up our hands and say. Oh, sorry, that, that clerk's office where you need to file papers is up a flight of stairs. There's no other way to get there. We still have to make that service of being able to file uh, papers uh, 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 available to people. And the way we do that, as I said, is to uh, modify our, our, our policies and procedures. So whereas normally we would require someone to come right into the court, the court clerk's office to file papers, and in the case of a person who couldn't get up the stairs, we'd send a court clerk downstairs to accept papers for filing. It's just it's just a, a way of uh, a common sense way of, of uh, altering the way you normally do things. Sure. Uh, other than that, we're required to do it by federal law. It seems like it's just flat out the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. In the court system, you know, we're we're used to the idea that everyone's to be is to be treated the same, but you know, when it comes to people with disabilities differential treatment is sometimes what's called for. So in other words, under the ADA, equal access trumps identical treatment. You just have to do things a little bit differently when the need arises. And, and to make sure that people have access, we have to modify our practices. You know.
how did how did how did you end up in this in this line or, or in this specialty? Uh, well, I, I you know worked in counsel's office for many years, and and part of my responsibilities, I I handled a lot of uh, disability discrimination lawsuits uh, lodged against the court system or or court employees, and so I became quite familiar with the ADA um, from an employment context, and then gradually uh, I I became the person in counsel's office that people. Uh, who, who had my job before I had it, uh, looked to for advice on, on how to interpret the ADA and what we needed to do and, and to help design um, our, our, web press, our web pages about the ADA and how we could reach out to people about getting accommodations. So it became a good fit. So what's a really good day? Uh, a good day is when people are getting what they need in the courts uh, for, in terms of accommodation. And uh, on this anniversary, John, I want to thank you for coming on the program and thank you for all you do for the people of the state of New York. You're welcome, John. Thank you.